Blog Talk Radio.
everyone, and welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you all for tuning in. This is T-Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a Reiki master and certified sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where we are streaming to you live as we do every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Our chat room is open. Feel free to join the discussion that is already happening online, and we do keep an eye on the chat room, so if you have a question, post it, and we'll do our best to get your question on the air. As an alternative, for those of you who are on the go you can't continue to listen online, you may call us directly by dialing 347-202-0227, and that way you can listen via phone, or please use your Bluetooth if you are driving around. Question for tonight. Have you ever really thought about God? The word God means different things to different people. So what does it mean to you? Brad Warner traveled all over the world speaking to people about Zen practice and deepening his own quest for the true nature of God. Can the Zen approach provide an answer to this seemingly irresolvable debate? Is there a way to be an atheist and still believe in God? Is there a way to be a true believer and still doubt? Why do we frame things in terms of God anyway? Is it just an outmoded concept that only fanatics talk about? These are the kind of questions we'll be exploring tonight with my guest, Brad Warner, a Zen priest, filmmaker, blogger, and Japanese monster movie marketer. The Huffington Post recently named him one of the top Buddhists to follow in Twitter, and his writing appears in media ranging from Tricycle and Shambhala Sun to SuicideGirls.com. There's also a documentary about him that is forthcoming from, and I hope I pronounce this properly, Peruz Kalea, the director of Shoplifting from American Apparel. And Brad is the author of Hardcore Zen, Sit Down and Shut Up, Sex, Sin, and Zen, and tonight's topic of discussion, There is no God and he is always with you, a search for God in odd places. So good evening, Brad. Thank you so much for taking time to be here with us tonight. How are you being this evening? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. <laughs> this is a very interesting book. First of all, the the title is, is very interesting. And what I think threw me probably the most is that you are a filmmaker, you're a blogger, you're an author, you're a Japanese monster movie marketer, and you're a Zen priest. So your work is quite eclectic. <laughs> How did bit, that all yeah. come about? Yeah, it really is, you know, I mean, because you don't usually see that coupling. It's just, you know, it's not something that you say oh yeah i'm this and i'm also a zen priest you know so how did it all come about oh boy uh well i just have a diverse range of interests uh i think um i guess the main reason for the sort of seeming eclecticism is i didn't really still don't uh didn't really set out to be a zen uh priest or monk it wasn't it wasn't like this was my goal in life i started doing zazen practice this kind of meditation because i i understood early on that it was good for me you know it was it was just something that made me feel better uh calmer more you know more at ease with myself and with the world and all of this and i just kept doing it as a personal practice for years it started out when i was a a punk rock bass player and uh, ended up moving to japan teaching english for a while then getting a job that uh, for working for this uh, monster movie-making company called Tsuburaya Productions. And uh, in in all that, uh, during all that time, I was uh, studying uh, Zen Buddhism, and I was practicing, and I had a teacher who, who very much wanted me to ordain. And I didn't think that was 
uh, the most attractive idea I'd ever heard of. But um, but he talked me into it, and I did it, and uh, and I wrote a book about the process. But I've never you know really given up all those other interests I had in life. I never ran off to a monastery and uh, and uh, lived there or anything like that. Yeah, that's typically what one thinks of when they think of a Zen priest. Because when your publicist, Kim Corbin, first brought this up, I said, oh, he's a Zen priest. And she says, well, no. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and then she sent me the information. I said, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different things. You know, the the world of Zen is is quite um, is quite interesting because, as, as you probably heard, as a, you know, everybody's kind of heard the argument over whether it even is a religion or whether the words like monk or priest even apply to it. And there are certain uh, branches within the continuum of Zen Buddhism in which in which things are run very much uh, you know like you would do at a church or a religious organization. And then there's there are other branches of Zen that are that are much more sort of wild and woolly. And there's always a there's always a little bit of a ten, tenuous connection uh between those two worlds. And uh, and I guess that's where I fit in because if somebody is uh, is ordained as a Zen priest or monk, uh, that person can ordain whoever she or he wants to uh, in any fashion that that they want. Um, and so that's what my teacher would do to some of his students. He would just kind of uh, say, "All right, I, I'd like to perform this ceremony that will make you an official part of my lineage." Um, you know, and it's basically the same ceremony that you get if you were a uh, full-time monastic, uh, but it's but it's also a little different. <laughs> it's very strange. It, no, it is interesting because a lot of people do feel that Zen Buddhism is, Buddhism is a religion, but that it's that it's original and that a religion that doesn't have a, a godhead. You know. Well, yeah, that's the standard uh, way of explaining it, and has been ever since D.T. Suzuki wrote his introduction to Zen Buddhism back in the God, it's got to be the 50s at least, if not earlier. That was one of the first uh, places a lot of Westerners in general, not just Americans, because published in America, but it went all over the world. Uh, heard about Zen Buddhism, and it says Zen has no god to worship. It very clearly right there in the beginning of the text. And uh, that's true depending on how you define uh, god. You know, there's no there's no idea of this eternal person that you should worship, um, you know, who lives up in the sky and, and wears a crown and, and has a halo and all of this stuff. Um, but there is a sense uh, of a more sort of transcendent uh, reality, which is something that we often uh, miss. I think, um, you know, it's not that it's not that you have to be a special person to to come into contact with this or anything. It's just that we we are very good at uh, making so much noise that we miss the underlying uh, substance of, of things. And and that and that in our tradition, in uh, when I say our tradition, I say our Western tradition, is is often called uh, by the name God. Uh, so so I decided to try to explore that in this book. Yes, and it's interesting because there are a lot of. Uh, I go to yoga, 
I'm not a Zen Buddhist. I don't fully understand it at all, but I do like the practice of yoga. And I have to laugh sometimes when people come in and say, oh, I never did this because I thought it was a religion. And people only thought it was a religion because that's what a lot of the monks would do. And we would have monks come in and actually teach a class or two. And so they thought it was some kind of a religious order. When in fact, to me, it was just probably the way you started out, very peaceful. It brings peace to your life. It brings calm. You learn to meditate a lot better. You're grounded. You have to focus on your postures to get to that place of meditation. So really, for me, that's what I got out of it. And it sounds like you started out with, well, it was very peaceful and grounding and centering for you as well. The, yeah, you know, that's, you that's exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly it. It was just good for me. And I I, and I have to admit, I was interested in the religious and philosophical aspects because I was that kind of a, a person and still am. Uh, so I was interested in, in, in uh, finding out about God, which is something I wasn't raised with. I, I, we, my family basically had no religion, not that we were atheists or anti-religion. It was just kind of this typical thing that you get in, in America a lot these days where you just have, um, you know, nobody really cares enough about religion to put much effort into it and that's and that's the background I came from but then I was fascinated by people who did put a lot of um, effort into it because uh, I thought well what is this there's a whole world of people who are interested in this um, in this thing and they call it God so 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 that was definitely part of my practice but whether you know it's not it's it's a funny thing because I, I think uh, at some point, something that you might call God is involved in this, even if you're not a religious. It's not the God of religion, though. It's not the God who belongs to a certain sect or who, you know, who votes for a certain political party. It's something much um, greater than that. I, I was brought up Catholic, and, and I'm a recovering Catholic. That's exactly how <laughs> I refer to myself, because to me it was very uh, structured, and it was just you know, it's their way or the highway. And I started to find that with many other religions as well. It's their way or the highway. And I thought, you know, do any of us really know? Because none of us can possibly know for sure. You know, maybe we'll know when yeah. we die, but we don't know for sure. So it can't be, you know, it's this way or it's this way, or it's this way. And when I figured out on my own, or, and this is my own belief, is that, you know, everybody's talking about God, but they're just giving it a different name. It's pretty much semantics. At, at a given point. And for me, you know, I was brought up God is everywhere. God's all over the place. And I thought, okay, well, that's fine. But then I realized I think that the God I believe in is within, you know, and rather than from outside, an exterior thing. And when I first read your subtitle, I read it incorrectly. I thought it was a search for God in all places. And I thought, oh, okay. But then then I looked at it again. I said, oh, a search for God in odd places. What 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 is that? <laughs> Why that well, subtitle? It could, it could be odd places, or it could be all places. It, uh, you know, the subtitle kind of refers to the sort of travel log structure of the the book. We were kind of searching for um, something to put. You know, that's because it, that's become the tradition. Of books these days, nonfiction books, especially. You know, you have to put something underneath the, the main title, and because. Uh, you know, I, I've been traveling around uh, the world for the last three or four years since um, since I moved back from Japan and kind of gave up doing a so-called regular job and, and just um, 
you know, working with the, the writing and the teaching. And, and I've seen a lot of the ways people relate to God. You know, for example, you, you mentioned Catholicism. I was in, uh, I got invited to speak in Belfast, Northern Ireland, um, two years ago. And that was really interesting because you, you know, I don't know about you personally, but we hear as Americans, I think, um, about the troubles in Northern Ireland, but you don't, until you, you actually go there and see the ramifications of it, it, it was a really uh, an eye-opener how, how God, or how a belief in, in God that's supposed to be calming and, and uh, comforting and, and so forth has, has turned people against each other and, and made them violent and, and aggressive and, and, and some really incredibly sad, awful things have happened in the name of God in Northern Ireland. And then right after I left Northern Ireland, I went, I flew um, right from Belfast airport to Jerusalem, you know, so, so you, so I had a week in Jerusalem right after that, which is another place where people with ideas about God are, are, uh, you know, just doing terrible things to each other. And, and some of that even comes up in the book. One of the guys I met uh, while I was in Jerusalem ended up getting killed uh, on the streets, you know, in, in, a, in an act of violence that wasn't overtly religious, but probably wouldn't have happened except that he was the wrong religion in the wrong place, you know, at the, right. at the wrong time, as they say. Um, so so you can see how, how terrible uh, religion can be. And I, and I have, total sympathy and understanding for somebody who would therefore want to reject any notion of God uh, because it's been so terribly abused. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, I, I feel if you just throw out uh, everything about God because of these abuses, I don't, I don't, I think you're, you're um, closing your eyes to something uh, that could be extremely important. Um, and, and you can't, I think you can't let other people define uh, God for you because God, by definition, is indefinable. You know, there's a quote I bring from a, a Catholic theologian of the of the uh, what it was he around 800 A.D. who says uh, God does not exist, and he's saying this as a Catholic theologian, a representative of the Church. You know, he says God does mm -hmm. not exist because to say that God exists, even to say that God exists, is to limit. God, uh, so you can't even say he exists, and, and that that sort of idea about God has um, has kind of dropped away. I mean, it still exists in some areas of the of the Christian Church, and and there uh, in, in, within the, the Jewish faith and the and the Islamic faith, it, it, it it's there, but it's gone way underground. Whereas whereas the interesting thing about Buddhism is it's it's that that still that approach to God sort of still remains. Uh, part of the mainstream understanding, it, not to say that it, everybody uh, who calls themselves a Buddhist adheres to it, but but it still remains, I think, part of the mainstream uh, Buddhist understanding of God. Yeah, I think that a lot of religions, uh, um, there are two arms or branches in every religion. There are the steadfast, and then there are the ones that are just uh, cafeteria plan, if you will. You know, oh, I'll take I'll. <laughs> You know, I'll go on Christmas and Easter and I'll be good. So when I die, I get into heaven, you know, and I don't yeah. think it works that way. But, you know, what do I know? <laughs> and, yeah, and most wars, yeah, really, you know, and most of the wars in history are either 
fixed over God, religion, or politics. So it is something that's a topic that, that, that's a real hot topic of discussion. And I just wanted to mention the gentleman in Jerusalem. I think you're referring to. I think his name was Lance. Is that correct? Am I yeah, remembering Lance, that correctly? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say that because you know, God bless. He's resting in peace. Um, that was that was not a good part of the book. <laughs> you know, to read that story, but it was so uh, real because you could feel it and you knew that yeah this is this does happen this does happen because yeah. people get so embroiled in their own religion and they it, it's almost like they're forcing it upon you and i don't think religion should be forced upon anybody you know i don't think people should be knocking on doors i don't think people should you know, just if everybody just minded their own beliefs you know the world would be a whole lot better off uh but we don't do that and in your book yeah. you you speak frequently of the New Testament and, and Christian uh, theologians. Actually, throughout the book, you do probably as equally as much as you reference, you know, Buddhist teachers. Um, do you do that because you you studied that a lot in order to learn more or to see the comparisons? Well, why do you do that? Well, I feel like I have a, a interesting relationship, at least interesting to me, uh, uh, with Christianity because when I first approached this idea of learning about God, I, I wanted to do it through the Christian uh, lens or whatever, because that was the one that was, was most attractive to me. It was the one I knew best, you know, just because it's part of the culture that I grew up in. Even even uh, I lived in Africa when I was a child, but I lived in Kenya, which is very much a Christian nation, so there's a lot of Christianity around there. Uh, and I... Uh, I, I wanted to study it that way, but uh, but I grew up mainly, apart from four years in, in Kenya, in a town called Wadsworth, Ohio, and the Christians, I, I don't know, maybe it's changed now, but the Christians I encountered in my childhood in Wadsworth, Ohio were, were not probably the best examples, because they, they described a God who seemed to be absurd. He lived... You know, he, he created the universe and made all these wonderful things, and he was all good, and et cetera, et cetera. But, but now, as far as I could understand, now he lived somewhere in a back corner of the universe, getting sitting there getting angry that nobody believed in him when he really didn't give you any reason to believe in him because he was hiding. Uh, so that that didn't make any sense. But but as I as I kind of grew into this, I I found. After a while, that the the Christian um, ideas about God were were very attractive, and and uh, you know I, I found a kind of a fascination for uh, the historical Jesus, for example, because uh, he was probably not very much like um, the way the the uh, he's portrayed, you know, in in uh, mainstream popular uh, society these days, and and I and I feel that. Um, that perhaps there's a lot there we can learn. The, the interesting thing about Buddhism, especially within Zen, is that it doesn't it doesn't stop with the historical Buddha, and that was something that kind of uh, fascinated me because I was used to religions that that uh, were based on a founder who lived in ancient times, who supposedly set it all down for us, and then we couldn't add or subtract to that. You know, that's I think, even right in the Bible. It says, you know, don't add or subtract anything to this book. Um, but but uh, whereas, whereas Buddhism, of course, there, there are forms of Buddhism that adhere very strictly to the historical Buddha's words, but, but most forms of Buddhism... Uh, don't they? They allow for growth and change and revision. You know, almost the way uh, science and, and philosophy.
shouldn't be so easily thrown into the category of uh, of religion because it's not this kind of revelation based uh, philosophy. It's 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 uh, Buddha set it down. The historical Buddha set it out for us, and and he deserves credit where credit is due, and that's why we call it you know Buddhism. But but in fact, it's, the word Buddhism doesn't really even exist in uh, in any of the languages of Buddhism, like Japanese, Chinese, and so forth, um, they refer to something about the teachings of Buddha, but means meaning the teachings that stem uh, from from Buddha, but not necessarily frozen within the words of the historical person. So I, I don't know. I've gone so far away from your original question. I'm not sure <laughs> if I even answered. That's interesting. <laughs> This happens frequently, and it's just, you know, it's great to have a discussion because you don't know where it's going to go, and it, it opens up new yeah. doors to different things. And you're right that all of these religions have a historical person, if you will, who it ends there, and you all have to just believe based on that, even though it was thousands of years ago, and you don't have a clue who this person was. And even though if the Gospels of the Bible, three of those people were not around, they weren't even born when Jesus was born, and the other one wasn't there, so he got all his information from anybody who was left behind. So really, how gospel-y is the gospel? You know, when people say, yeah. you know, it's a gospel truth, really, is it? I mean, it's the gospel truth, but what does that even mean? I've always been amazed when you go to court and they say, well, you swear on the Bible. Sure, it's a book. It's a book full of stories. I'll swear on it. You might yeah, as well yeah. put, you know, and, you know, put Curious George out there. It doesn't really matter, you know. Well, you swear I, on this copy of Curious George, yeah. You know, yes, a, I mean. Yeah. It's an interesting it thing. Make, I, but, but, I mean, and, and, I, and I totally agree with you that, that a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense. But then again, as I said before, to throw out everything to do with God just because there there are aspects of it that don't make sense, I think it also uh, also makes us miss out on on some really important uh, lessons that might be there and and things that that a, that a belief in God might be able to to teach us. I, I saw something where Richard Dawkins was on Twitter. You know, saying that uh, religion has nothing to teach us, but I, I think even if you're the the uh, the world's greatest atheist, which I guess Richard Dawkins is trying to be these days, um, mm -hmm. I don't see how you can say there's nothing that uh, that religion or that or that this sort of spiritual approach can teach us. I, I think that's really selling things short. Yes, because every you can learn from everything, absolutely everything. So you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater, you know. And for those of you who are not familiar, Richard Dawkins is an atheist philosopher and a vocal critic of religions. Um, actually, he and Christopher Hitchens are probably the two most prominent writers within and champions of the neo-atheist movement currently, right. I believe. Um, and it, the other gentleman, I think, is Sam Harris, I believe, is right. another one. Sam Harris is very big, big in that. Yeah. Yeah, um, and we'll talk about that in the second half of the show. But I have a question for you now. Prayer is okay. huge in almost every religion. Every religion they talk about prayer. And, and I understand that Buddhism is not a religion, although some people feel it might be. But do Buddhists pray? Is there a form of prayer within that? Well, it's an interesting question because uh, there, if, if you study sort of all of the different uh, things that, that that exist in the world and, and refer to themselves as Buddhism and and have a have a, a connection with Buddhism. There are certainly Buddhists out there who 
do pray to Buddha as if he were a god and as if he could do things for them. That that does exist. But it's a kind of uh, a minority, I think, or it, it doesn't really represent uh, at all the sort of Buddhism that, that I studied. And and um, But interestingly enough, within, within the realm of, of Zen Buddhism, and, and as well as a lot of other forms of Buddhism, but I'll talk about Zen because I know it the best, uh, Buddha is not regarded as anything at all supernatural. Uh, so he, he isn't up there in heaven answering prayers or anything like that. However, um, oddly enough, if you go to a Zen temple, as I do, I, I spend a month uh, every year up at Tassajara, which is a Zen monastery in Northern California. And every two or three days, they, they do these chants on a rotation every morning. And every two or three days, one comes up that's the disaster-preventing uh, prayer. And you, everybody gets into a group and, and chants this, this uh, invocation to uh, preserve the people of the temple and the temple itself. Um, yet, none of us, I don't think, really believe that by saying these words, we're going to get any sort of supernatural help. Um, however, doing the, doing the, and the first when I went there, I thought, well, why are we even doing this chant? But but if you if you um, if you participate in it, you can have some kind of a feeling, which I think is is a really interesting approach. It's it's not that we, and that's what makes uh, the the argument over whether uh, Buddhism, particularly in the Zen form, is a religion or not. It makes it very confusing because people say it's not a religion, and then you go to one of these places and you'll see people who seem to be doing prayers and seem to be bowing to statues and doing all of these other things. And I think that's because the early Buddhists understood the fundamental value of those sort of religious actions, whether whether they were accompanied by uh, belief or not. So, so you we you know our approach is that it doesn't matter you know, whether we believe this stuff or don't believe it. We just do it um, because the doing of it seems to have some deep. Uh, effect on on the human nervous system and psychology, um, you know, and 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 interestingly enough, that disaster you could say that disaster preventing prayer. Uh, three years ago, Tassajara suffered this huge fire, and it was saved, but it wasn't saved by a miracle from Buddha out in heaven. It was saved because uh, some of the monks there loved the place so much that they. They literally drove right back into the fire, and uh, and uh, and kept and kept the place from burning down. Uh, so so it wasn't that there was some cosmic supernatural intercession. Yet maybe that disaster preventing prayer was part of uh, the process by which um, this monastery was saved. You know, so so things like that can happen. Um, and and that's why I wouldn't necessarily say I disbelieve in prayer. I don't I don't I don't believe that I can invoke a supernatural power from outer space to to help me. Uh, yet I do feel that that uh, this action of of making these sort of invocations and stuff can can be useful. And and we shouldn't again I keep saying this over and over we shouldn't just throw it away uh, because because it's not strictly rational. 
Well, and I agree 100%. Ritual is so important. Ritual is important to people because it just helps to intensify the core belief that you have within you for whatever it is that you're quote-unquote praying for. And I have to say, uh, to me, a prayer is almost anything. If I, I cannot remember who, who said this, but if the only prayer you ever say is thank you, it is enough. That in itself is a prayer because you're saying thank you. And when I, I firmly believe that all those people doing all that chanting, it put forth action so something could happen. But I also know that everything is made of energy, and energy is very malleable and it's pliable, and we can manipulate it through thought. And I've learned that through my work. I'm an energy therapist, so this is what I deal with every day. And the efficacy of, of what I'm talking about has been proven over and over again in patients and how you can affect change in them. So it stands to reason that it could happen outside of that as well. And that's been proven too, for instance, even with water, glasses of water that, you know, people talk they chant around a glass of water or a lake, and all of a sudden the lake is clearing. So I believe that when you're doing these prayers, whether you want to call it prayer or anything else, these chantings, that it is affecting change in a good way. And, yeah, it's very powerful. And I think the ritual goes along with it to help people to have the confidence or the faith or the trust that it will, in fact, work. And maybe that's why they do look like they're praying to these, you know, these uh, Buddhist gods or whatever. You know, um, it's just part of what it was. But it sounds like they understand that they're not praying necessarily to to this supernatural being, because I don't believe that either, but I do believe that you can affect change just with your thoughts and your intentions. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think even the word supernatural is, is where we get problematic, because you know, there, there might have been a time when there was a definition of nature that would allow for something supernatural, you know, above nature. But I think we've learned more about the workings of nature now to, to have less faith in the supernatural but i think we we need to be open to the idea that the natural world may may not be limited to our understanding i mean it would be foolish to think it is because our understanding of the natural world is constantly changing you know so it would be like you know looking back on the you know 200 years ago and uh, you kind of laugh at people who thought they knew everything there was to know, know about the natural world well, you know, there'll come a time when, when we'll seem kind of silly, too, uh, because we we didn't understand certain things about the, the, the perfectly natural world that we live in. So, so yeah, I think, I think it's, all, it's all included there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I laugh at some of the things I hear on TV. You don't even have to put on a sitcom. You can just listen to the news and say, really, that's what you people think? It's kind of funny sometimes yeah. to hear the things that are going on out there. We are yeah. talking with Brad Warner, author of There Is No God, and he is always with you, A Search for God in Odd Places. And you can learn more about Brad by going to his website, hardcorezen.info. I'm going to say that again because usually it's a .com or a .org or a .net, and this is not. It is hardcore, C-O-R-E, Zen, Z-E-N, dot .info. You know, and the um, this is a really great book. It's it's very thought provoking. Actually, the title is very provocative. Why why did you choose that title? Is there any kind of hidden meaning in it, or are you quite simply suggesting that God is separate from from us? Well, um, 
the the title originally comes from something that was said by this uh, Zen monk called Joshi Sasaki, who uh, he's a Japanese monk. He's been in America for the past forty or fifty years, and uh, and he said it to a student of his who was a who was a Christian who was very con- conflicted about uh, the the Zen practice, the supposedly godlessness of it, and he said to her, "There is no God." and he is always with you. He probably shouted the first part of it um, in order to kind of break her out of uh, this kind of conventional understanding. One of the interesting things to me about uh, kind of remarkable things about Zen has always been uh, that it's very contradictory. Every other philosophy tries to pin reality down and say it's this way and not any other way. But, uh, but, Zen gives you gives you uh, both ways at once, and and it can be kind of frustrating. I think uh, when when uh, Dogen, who's the guy who I most study in in uh, the Zen sort of literature, when Dogen uh, ta- writes, he he writes in these very contradictory ways. But um, I think some of the well, I don't think I've seen some of the earlier translations of Dogen, and the, the translators often try to smooth out these contradictions um, because they don't really understand them. It, it makes no sense. But uh, luckily we've uh, we've gone beyond that and some people who understand Dogen a little bit better are translating him these days and, uh, and leaving the contradictions in because, uh, you know, depending on what you mean by God, you can say there is no God. And depending on what you mean by God, again, you could say he is always with you. You know, there is, there is something that's always with you and it may or may not uh, be appropriate to call it god depending on what you mean I- i've decided um to to kind of i, I want to cut into and and see what this what this whole god thing is about I- and i've met yeah i've been on a book tour for the past uh you know ever since the book came out so the past month and a half i've been going around places and talking about it and I've met with some real resistance. People, people will admonish me, especially within the, the Buddhist realm, for for even bringing up uh, the G word in context uh, in the context of Buddhism, because it's such it's it's got so many um, difficult and unfortunate connotations, which I totally agree with. But I think that's why we we have to look at it. We have to face. Uh, to, to face the, the contradictory and difficult nature of, of this idea of God. And, you know, and it is uh, a very difficult conversation, actually, because there, you're going to get an opinion from everybody, and they're all going to be different. There's not one side or the other. There's five million. And so it's something that you took on. I don't know that there's another book out there that's even close to this in it being so thought-provoking and Timely, in a way. Um, so, did you did you think about when you were going into it? What made you write a book about God, and did you have any clue at all that it would be something that was would come up as a hot topic and yet be so uh, welcomed and not welcomed at the same time? Well, I knew it was going to be a difficult topic, but then I always do difficult topics. My last book was uh, about sex in Buddhism, which is also a difficult topic because well, there's a whole other conversation there. But the, the but God, yeah, I knew God was going to be a, a problematic 
thing to talk about and that, that people were going to uh, resist it. But but I think it's I think it's really important. You know, I, I kind of look at every book. You know, hopefully this won't be the one, but every book I've written. Uh, I always think, oh, you know, if I'm going to write my, if this is going to be my last book I ever write, I want it to be, you know, the 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 one that really pushes things uh, as far as they can possibly go. Uh, so, so I thought taking on the topic of God was was appropriate because you know you can't get much bigger than that. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do for my follow-up act, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> But 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 you know it's it's tough and and it's very polarizing because you know you've got the you've got the you mentioned them earlier the neo atheist side who are out there you know saying well anybody who believes in God is is stupid you know I mean some of them are saying it saying flat out using that that word and uh, and then you've got you know a, a plethora you know how many I don't know of religions saying you know we have the monopoly on God um, and and you can't really trust that either so no. so uh you know i think there's a lot of people who have deep concern about this who uh who are who are kind of searching for another way an alternative that does that avoids these extremes is that the audience that you were thinking you were going to to really reach out to well i hope so you know it's you know, one of the problems with writing in the genre of of Buddhism is you're you kind of uh, preaching to the converted, and a lot of really there are a lot of really nice books. There are a lot of bad books on Buddhism these days, and there's a lot of good ones. And a lot of the good ones, um, even though they are good, they are they're talking to a very specific and narrow audience who, you know, kind of already know or kind of already accept certain things. Um, but but I thought I'd like to reach out to this this other audience who are uh, maybe don't maybe they don't know what Buddhism is. You know, a lot of one the title of one of my earlier books was Zen wrapped in karma, dipped in chocolate, which was a reference to the way pop culture had latched on to this word Zen and uh, and turned it into you know dozens of weird things. I just drove by a Zen nail salon the other day so you know oh my god you've got, you've got everything yeah you know it's so so um so what does this even mean so i, I know that this word zen is thrown around a lot but people don't know what it means and don't know and and don't know what it's about and don't and may not understand that it also deals with the with topics of great concern like God, you know, and 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 uh, death, and you know, all these things that people are really uh, are really worried about. It's not just simply a way of becoming, you know, mindful and and uh, I don't know that that kind of uh, you know this sort of Mr. Spock sort of attitude of supernatural calmness. Uh, it, it's something that that's very vital and, and reaches to the heart of things. So I, I just thought I'd I'd uh, try to. See if I could uh, reach, you know, reach across the gap, and and talk to that audience as well. And I think you did successfully because you know the word Zen is thrown around a lot. You know, do you have a Zen garden? You know, and yeah. people will say, oh, I like the sound of that that bell that's in your garden. It's very Zen-like. Okay. I understood what they were saying, and I went right along with it. And then I read your book and thought, oh, see, there's something different here. <laughs> because I oh, was yeah. not aware, you know. And the whole thing is bringing people to awareness so that they can understand. And 
you know, and have a, a better understanding of what it is. And yeah, I bet with the books that you've written, you're not making a whole lot of friends in the Buddhist community. <laughs> well, you know, I do, I, I do stir up a certain amount of trouble. Uh, and, and, and it's funny, I don't, I don't really set out to, a lot of people kind of accuse me of setting out to, to stir things up, but it's not really my intention to, I, I do feel though that, that, um, that Buddhism in general and Zen in particular are uh, supposed to question themselves. And and when you reach a conclusion, you're already getting getting off track. You know, it's, it's about the questions and not about the answers. And, and, I, and I, you know, I, I feel that some of the flack I've gotten from, from uh, Buddhists is uh, is from people who don't really understand it that way. You know, it, it's supposed to be constantly revolutionizing itself. So anytime you, there's a there's a famous sutra called the Heart Sutra, and it was very influential to me because it has this line that says, um, "No suffering, no origination, no stopping, no path." And when you first hear that, it just doesn't sound like anything uh, if you don't understand the context. But what it's actually doing is that the first thing Buddha ever said to his followers, that the most fundamental truth in Buddhism is there is suffering, there is a way to stop suffering, uh, and, and there is a path to the, the stopping of suffering. And, and then you have the Heart Sutra that comes out and denies all of this, which is like if you found a secret passage in the Bible that said there is no Savior, no God, no heaven, no hell, or something like that. Uh, and, and I think it's really brilliant because it's saying, look, we even have to question our own uh, deepest, most uh, dearly held uh, aspects of our own philosophy. We have to we have to question them if we want, want to understand what they actually mean. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you also bring up that um, the, the questions that can be asked within being Buddhist, that you can ask questions. It's not just about something that's handed to you and you're supposed to believe it. I, I was brought up Catholic, as I said, and, you know, came into this world believing that everybody comes in with what's called original sin. And so oh, yeah. I would question and I got in trouble for questioning. You just had to believe and have faith. So they lost me early on because I thought, how do I have original sin? I haven't done anything yet. I'm like five. What could I possibly have done that's a sin that needs to go yeah. away? through some ritual, you know, a baptism or whatever. I mean, to me, that just, that kind of blew my mind right there, and I wasn't, you know, feeling it. <laughs> and I well, think yeah, a that, lot of religions that, probably have stuff like that, you know? <laughs> and, that can be, and that can be a real difficulty for a lot of people because you can't, uh, if, if you're not allowed to question your religion, well, that's, that's a problem, and it, it may have worked. That that uh, that approach of you better not question it may have worked a thousand years ago or something, but it's not going to work anymore because we have too much information. It, there's there's too much available to us, and and I think it's I think religions are cutting their own throats if they if they uh, take that approach because you know you might be able to get a few hundred followers to to go along with you if you if you're taking that sort of an approach and you might be able to do a bit of uh, cause a bit of trouble and damage and stuff but but really in the, ultimately you're going to lose because because uh, too many people out there we we just know too much so so you have to be 
you have to be comfortable with things. You, you, for example, science. Any any religion that denies science is is going to lose, uh, because mm-hmm. one of my most things that, that amuses me most, and I see it every day if I want to go looking for it, is, is people denouncing science on the internet and not understanding what a huge contradiction that is already. You know, typing into your your uh, laptop something <laughs> denouncing science because because you're using you know the, here is the product of science and it works right uh, so so you know and we all kind of know that I think even the people who are doing this must at some level of their being understand uh, that that this makes no sense so you're desperately fighting this battle that you're 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 going to lose you've already lost so so we have to accept science and and things that make sense um yet still yet still there's this other part of reality this sort of experiential part of reality i had this bit of an argument with somebody on the internet as you do um about uh, when i said that there are areas that science can't reach and he said well that just shows you you're ignorant of science and i said well well what about the question what is love you know i mean science mm. can can maybe make some suppositions about love, you know, in terms of hormonal uh, interaction or heart rate or oxytocin or, you know, these different things. Um, but that doesn't that doesn't really answer the question. And, and in uh-huh. fact, it's a question nobody can can really conclusively answer. Uh, but it, it's a but that doesn't mean it's not a worthwhile question just because you right. can't make a nice quantitative answer out of it. That it is also very interesting in your book is interesting because anybody can, you put forth so many different pieces of information that provide the reader to really think about what they feel and how they look at God. So in writing this book and all that you've been through and allowing us to come up with our own conclusions through reading your book, what conclusions have you yourself come up with about god <laughs> uh you know i don't know i don't know if uh, the reason i laugh is i don't know if conclusion is exactly the the word for it i you know i, I suppose the, the conclusion is that ultimately i don't know but uh i have a kind of deep intuition about it there's um there's a quote in the book from my first then teacher's teacher uh, who's a guy named Coben Chino, who who talks about how um, he's ta- he's giving the metaphor of going to the source of a river, you know, as as a kind of metaphor for for God, and he's saying it, it's it's misty and it's cold and and you can't really he says you can't really go there with this body and mind, and yet you have a kind of intuition uh, that it exists. And that's kind of kind of what we're developing within this Zen practice is is just is just uh, getting comfortable with this kind of intuitive uh, knowing. So so I feel that in in the years I've done practice, I've kind of uncovered um, a bit of that intuitive knowing into the into the deeper aspects of reality. But but I come away from it being no more able to. Accept Explain my, you know, my conclusions than than anybody else who's ever been there can explain them. But but it's a sense of um, 
you know, in, in my sense of this practice, it's been like a, kind of like a curtain, you know, that, that, that opens up and shows you something and then closes again. And it's not like the thing that was behind the curtain was ever not behind the curtain. It's always behind the curtain. And the curtain is something that, that we ourselves have erected um, out of fear and out of misunderstanding and out of ignorance you know we we wall ourselves off and we we close our eyes to certain aspects of of reality but if we can open up to them maybe they're not quite as frightening as as we thought you know i think we i think we turn away from the real god to this sort of cartoonish false god that we invent uh because we're afraid of reality and and reality is um it's ultimately not that frightening. It's it's just it just does what it does, and uh, and if you can harmonize with it, you you'll be okay. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, everybody probably looks at things that are happening with a sense of fear first, and re- then once it's over with, they realize it wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be. It usually never is. It's usually a little bit better, including a discussion on God <laughs> because it is yeah. it's personal it's very personal to people it's a very personal thing and yet it's openly displayed you know weekly in various temples and churches and synagogues or whatever around the world and right. uh, but people come together as one if you will but your book kind of opens it up to say well now think a little bit more for your own self i found it interesting because i i believe that the god for me the god of my understanding is within you know, um, that we're all a part of God and that if we are a piece of God, then we are limitless in our abilities to do whatever. And so we should go with that and have faith in our own selves and trust in our own selves and belief in our own selves. And then maybe things would be created outwardly because you have that trace and uh, trust and faith and belief in what you can do. And it's limitless and you're acting with kindness, you know, but that's yeah. just my take, <laughs> you know, well, I think it's good. You know, you, you, you need that, you need that approach because, uh, you know, religions have divided us and I'm certainly not, uh, out there advocating a new religion to replace the old ones. I think, I think the con- the very concept of religion is, is outdated. It may have served a purpose at one point, but it's, but it no longer serves that purpose. And, and we need to be able to go beyond that. And it doesn't mean we, we have to, to throw away our, our religions or our, 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 our rituals and our faith. We just have to understand that we can't, you, you'll never, you know, the, the, like you mentioned, the people going door to door trying to convince somebody of their religion. It's not going to work. You know, you're not, you're right. never going to convince everybody uh, of one point of view. And even if you have two people sitting right next to each other on the pews who both say, you know, for example, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and died for my sins. If you actually probed into each one of those people, you know, and asked them a few key questions, you'd find that their belief was very different. You know, what they meant by Jesus and what they meant by sin and what they meant by died for the sin, they, they have a different view on it. So, so we need to stop trying to pretend we all see things the same way. But we're all living in the same reality and and that's what we we need to kind of harmonize with 
And we don't need to see things in the same way. And we need to just probably understand, like you said, harmonize with the fact that everybody has a difference of opinion. And it doesn't really matter because if they're living their life their way and it isn't affecting you, then why get upset about it? Because really, it doesn't yeah, affect what other be. people do. Do not, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, let them be. Because what somebody else does does not affect you unless you allow it to. And you only allow it to if you're saying, okay, they're wrong. Well, why are they wrong and what makes you right? I don't get that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah. probably another show, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, probably. That's a big topic yeah. right there. It really is. You know, what, um, what other books do you think you're going to come up with next? I mean, it is a tough <laughs> act to follow, I must say, you know? <laughs> Got anything yeah, I don't in, really in, uh, know. Don't know yet, huh? I'm sure it will well, be. Well, I don't really know. I've 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 been thinking about the way, uh, you know, this kind of way that that people will, in, especially within Eastern religions, present themselves as a kind of supernatural force to be reckoned with, and uh, and how um, and how easily that that falls apart. But I don't know if there's a book there yet or not. Um, for now, I'm I'm content with just. Uh, Talking a little bit more about this one, and I, I think I think maybe that's where the next one is going to come out of is out of the discussions because uh, above and beyond all of the other books that I've written, this one has been the one that has sparked the most interesting uh, set of discussions because it really polarizes people, and and I think that's a good thing. I don't, you know, it, it's it's you know it can be a bit of a pain in the butt to have to argue with people all the time, but. On the other hand, I think if we don't have these arguments, um, I mean, these are arguments we need to have. You know, these are disagreements that we need to to uh, to face. Um, you know, to, by, by by sort of giving that, you know, stepping back from it and saying it's all wonderful, um, which a lot of people try to solve the problems by saying, well, everybody is right. Well, you know, maybe that's not the solution. Maybe the solution is to is to find what what among our various beliefs is right and and which ones we might be able to do without. And I think your book speaks to that well, and it does it does bring up the discussions, and it hopefully will bring up many, many more. And right now, I cannot believe we're almost at the top of the hour. Brad, it's gone by so quickly. But before we say goodbye, if you would please tell our listeners how they may learn more about you and your work and how they may purchase your book, There Is No God and He Is Always With You. Well, the main place uh, to find out about me is my website, which is hardcorezen.info, like one word, hardcorezen.info, because we couldn't get .com. <laughs> There's a long story behind that, but it's .info. Uh, and the books are available through the website. I'm even trying to work out how I can make uh, signed copies available, though right now we haven't uh, figured the logistics out. Um you know, and then if you don't want to go there, they're at uh, at all your local uh, bookstores and uh, and uh, online, uh, the, the standard online book places. You don't like to be uh, sectarian and giving people blogs, but uh, you know you know which ones <laughs> there are. <It's> yeah, <laughs> whatever's out there, right? Oh gosh, yeah. well I hope you do get to do the ones that are signed because whenever I get a book that's signed, I know it's a keeper, you know, and that it just makes my heart smile when I get a book that's signed. So I hope you'll be able to put that into place through New World Libraries. That would be great. Now, listeners, yeah. we need you to spread the word. You know that you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, and I know that you do too because we just won the second place award for best inter-
Russia Net Radio in the globe, on the globe. Second place, that's pretty darn good, and I'm very happy to all of you, and, and we're grateful to all of you for you know making it possible for us to get that award. It's it's up to you and me, and we both do a great job together. So thank you all. You need to send the link to the show so that people can be made aware of all the wonderful things that are offered here at Energy Awareness Radio. You know that all of my guests share their time freely, and they give us a minimum of 60 minutes of their day to help us all. And you know, they do it at no charge. You pay nothing for the wisdom and the knowledge that you receive here at Energy Awareness Radio. So go ahead, pass the word, make others aware so they too will be able to grow and learn and make this world better for everyone. And thank you again, Brad. This has been a really thought-provoking discussion, and I appreciate you taking time to be here and share all of your thoughts with all of us. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Just hold on for a couple of minutes. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in this evening. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. Ah, I can't even spit it out tonight. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archived list of past shows, a lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting throughout the year, including next Friday night, the 26th, if you are in the tri-state area there will be a crystal bowl concert on the lake with a candlelit labyrinth walk i have a 50 foot seven circuit labyrinth so you know if you're in and around the area stop by don't forget to follow me on twitter at nrg aware radio that's at nrg aware radio i am your host t love here at energy awareness radio intending you and yours a most wonderful week remember living from your heart is quite easy You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. Have a great week. Bye-bye. When I remember how